Chapter 10, Part 1 of The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Garifo. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Coons. Chapter 10 Planetary and Astral Influences of Precious Stones. The talismanic influence of the stones associated with the planets and also with the signs of the zodiac is closely connected with the early ideas regarding the formation of precious stones. In an old work on the occult properties of gems, we read, The nature of the magnet is in the iron, and the nature of the iron is in the magnet, and the nature of both polar stars is in both iron and magnet, and hence the nature of the iron and the magnet is also in both polar stars, and since they are Martian, that is to say, their region belongs to Mars, so do both iron and magnet belong to Mars. The author then proceeds to describe an analogous relation between a man and any natural object or product to which his imagination draws him, and shows that, if this object be one that stands in a sympathetic relation with the star beneath which the man was born, the man, the star, and the object will constitute a triplicity of great utility as an explanation of the particularly intimate relation between stars and precious stones, we read on page 12, Metals and precious stones usually lie with their first seeds deep down in the earth, and require continuous moisture and a mild heat. This they obtain through a reflection of the sun and the other stars in the manifold movement of the heavens. Therefore, also, the metals and precious stones are nearest related to the planets and stars. Since these influence them most potently, and produce their peculiar qualities, for they are enduring and unchangeable, and show therein their concordance with the stars and the planets. Hence it is that the influence over human fortunes ascribed by astrology to the heavenly bodies is conceived to be strengthened by wearing the gem appropriate to certain planets or signs, for a subtle emanation has passed into the stone and radiates from it. A combination of several different stones, each partaking of this special quality, was believed to have an influence similar to that exercised by several planets in conjunction, that is, grouped in the same house or division of the heavens. The same is true of the stones dedicated to the guardian angels. The color and appearance of the stone was not merely emblematic of the angel, but by its sympathetic quality it was supposed to attract his influence and to provide a medium for the transmission of his beneficent force to the wearer. The whole theory, whether consciously or unconsciously, rested on the idea of harmony, of the accord of certain ethereal vibrations, either those of the visible light of the stars and planets, or the purely psychic emanations from the spiritual powers and principalities. 
the wearing of the appropriate zodiological gem was always believed to strengthen the influence of the zodiological sign upon those born under it, and to afford a sympathetic medium for the transmission of the stellar influences. The gem was thus something more than a mere symbol of the sign. The same was true of the stone of the saint who ruled over the month, and that of the holy guardian angel set over those born in the month. In each and every case the material form and color of the stone was believed to attract the favor and grace of the saint or angel, who would see in the selection of the appropriate gem an act of respect and veneration on the part of the wearer. The old writers never tired of assisting upon the idea that, while the image graven upon a stone was in itself dead and inactive, the influence of the stars during whose ascendancy the work had been executed communicated to the inert material talismanic qualities and virtues which it before lacked. In these instances, the images could be regarded as outward and visible signs of the planetary or zodiacal influence. Even in the case of the bizarre stone, a generally recognized antidote for all sorts of poisons, it was held that the scorpion's bite could be most effectively healed by a bezoar upon which this creature's figure had been cut during the time when the constellation Scorpio was in the ascendancy. In the production of engraven stones to serve as amulets, the influence of the respective planet was made to enter the stone by casting upon the latter, during the process of engraving, reflections from a mirror which had been exposed to the planet's rays. In addition to this, the work was executed while the planet was in the ascendant, and the design was emblematic of it. With these combined influences, the gem was believed to be thoroughly impregnated with the planetary virtue. An old writer finds in the hardness of precious stones a reason for their retaining longer the celestial virtues they receive. After they have been extracted, these virtues persist in them, and they keep the traces and gifts of mundane life which they possessed while clinging to the earth. These Gifts of mundane life signify the stored-up energy derived from the stars and planets which penetrates the matter of the stone, and each stone is peculiarly sensitive to the emanations from a certain planet, star, or group of stars. A fine carnelian gem engraved with a design consisting of a star surrounded by the images of a ram, a bull, and a lion is described by M. Mehran. He sees in the star the emblem of the splendid comet which appeared shortly after the assassination of Caesar, and which, according to Suetonius, was believed to be the soul of Caesar newly received into the sky. The ram, bull, and lion are the symbols of the zodiacal signs Aries, Taurus, and Leo, the first name signed referring perhaps to the death of Caesar on the Ides, or 15th of March, while the other two signs may allude to the position of the comet at different dates. In the Cabinet du Roi in Paris, there was an engraved carnelian, the design showing Jupiter enthroned, with thunderbolt and scepter, and Mars and Mercury standing on either side of the central figure. Separated from the gods of the upper air by a bow, probably representing the arch of the sky, 
appears the bust of Neptune emerging from the sea. The border of the design is formed by the twelve signs of the zodiac, Virgo being of an unusual type, the virgin and unicorn, said to have been used only during the reign of Domitian, 81-96 A.D. Some choice examples of astrological gems may be seen in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York. Among these is a green jasper bearing symbols of Luna, Capricorn, and Taurus. This gem is from the collection of the late Reverend C. W. King, which has been acquired for the museum and is described as figuring the horoscope of the owner. In the same collection is a banded agate engraved with Sagittarius as a centaur, surrounded by the stars of this constellation in their proper order. King states that this was the earliest horoscopical gem known to him. Still another gem of this collection is a sard bearing the symbol of Aries, carrying a long caduceus. This type appears on the coins of Antioch because the city was founded in the month over which the sign Aries presides. The Austrian imperial collection in Vienna contains the celebrated Gemma Augustia, sometimes called the Apotheosis of Augustus. This commemorates the Pannonian triumph of Tiberius, 13 AD, and above the figure of Augustus appears the sign of Capricornus, the constellation of his nativity. Beneath the figure of Tiberius is engraved the sign of Scorpio, under which that emperor was born. This celebrated cameo, the work of the famous gem engraver Dioscorides, is mentioned in an inventory of the treasury of St. Cernan in Toulouse, dated 1246. It is said to have been offered by Francis I of France to Pope Clement VII on the occasion of their meeting in Marseille in 1535. However, as the gem only reached Marseille two days after the Pope's departure, Francis decided to retain possession of it. The royal treasure at Fontainebleau was plundered in 1590, and the stone was offered for sale and was purchased in 1619 by Emperor Rudolf II for the sum of 12,000 ducats. A ruby called Sandastros is described by Pliny as containing stellated bodies which he compares to the hiatus. Hence, says he, they are the objects of great devotion of the Chaldei, or Assyrian Magi. According to Morales, de las piedras preciosas, the ruby and the diamond were both under the influence of the sign of Taurus. The same writer informs us that the hiatus and the sun were supposed to have a potent effect upon the ruby, or carbuncle. In ancient Babylonia, the sign of Taurus was regarded as the most important, and Winkler believes that the presence in this sign of the five stars of the Hiatus and the seven of the Pleiades was brought into connection with the twelve-fold division of the zodiac. The Hiatus signified the five signs visible in Babylonia at the summer solstice, while the Pleiades typified the seven invisible signs. It seems probable that the Pleiades were associated with the diamond, although Morales, who was very familiar with the Moorish astrology current among the Spaniards of his time, attributed the crystal to this group. His attribution proves at least that the stone of the Pleiades was a colorless one. 
In Sanskrit, the diamond is called Vara, thunderbolt, and also Indrahuda, Indra's weapon, and another name is Asira, fire, or the sun. All these designations are probably suggested by the brilliant flashes of light emitted by this stone. It is not easy to determine the reason that induced the Hindus to dedicate the diamond to the planet Venus rather than to the sun or to the moon. However, as the most brilliant of the planets, Venus was not unworthy of this honor, and if we substitute the goddess of love for her planet, it seems quite appropriate that she should be adorned with the most brilliant of precious stones. Certainly, these sparkling gems are often enough offered at the Shrine of Venus in our own day, and they often serve to win the good graces of the divinity to whom they are presented. The Sanskrit name for the sapphire, Nila, signifies blue, so that, as the topaz is the yellow stone par excellence, the sapphire is the blue stone, Nilakman. In both cases, the name indicates a variety of corundum, distinguished merely by the coloring matter. As a talisman, the Hindus believe that the sapphire rendered the planet Saturn favorable to the wearer, an important consideration from the astrological point of view, for Saturn's influence was generally supposed to be unfavorable. The Hindus distinguished four classes of sapphires corresponding to the four castes, Brahmins, Satriyas, Vayas, and Sudras. The respective sapphires were light blue, reddish blue, yellowish blue, and dark blue. The same distinction is made in the case of the diamond, and a like rule applies to both stones, namely, that only the appropriate stone should be worn by the members of each caste in order to profit by the virtues inherent in the sapphire or diamond. One of the Sanskrit appellations of the hyacinth, zircon, is Rahunatra, that is, the jewel dedicated to the mysterious dragon that was supposed to be the cause of the periodic eclipses of the sun and moon. As the stone was sacred to this malevolent influence, we need not be surprised that it was believed to avert misfortune, for nothing was so effective against the lesser spirits of evil as an, an evil genius of greater power. According to the Hindu mystics, it was very lucky to have a turquoise at hand at the time of the new moon, for whoever, after first looking at the moon on the Pratapada, the first day after the new moon, should cast his eye upon a turquoise, was destined to enjoy immeasurable wealth. Zodiacal Gems Aquarius, January 21 to February 21 The Garnet If you would cherish friendship true, in Aquarius, well, you'll do to wear this gem of warmest hue, the garnet. Pisces, February 21 to March 21, the amethyst. From passion and from care kept free shall Pisces' children ever be, who wear so all the world may see, the amethyst. Aries, March 21 to April 20, the bloodstone. Who on this world of ours his eyes in Aries opens shall be wise if always at his hand there lies bloodstone. 
Taurus, April 20 to May 21. The Sapphire. If on your hand this stone you bind, you in Taurus born will find twill cure diseases of the mind. The Sapphire. Gemini, May 21 to June 21. The Agate. Gemini's children health and wealth command, and all the ills of age withstand who wear their rings on either hand of agate. Cancer, June 21 to July 22. The Emerald. If born in Cancer's sign, they say, your life will joyful be alway if you take with you on your way an emerald. Leo. July 22 to August 22, the onyx. When youth to manhood shall have grown, under Leo lorn and lone, twill have lived but for this stone, the onyx. Virgo, August 22 to September 22, the carnelian. Success will bless whate'er you do, through Virgo's sign, if only you place on your hand her own gem true, Carnelian. Libra, September 22 to October 23, the Chrysolite. Through Libra's sign it is quite well to free yourself from evil spell, for in her gem surcease doth dwell, the Chrysolite. Scorpio. October 23 to November 21, the barrel. Through Scorpio this gem so fair is that which every one should wear, or tears of sad repentance bear, the barrel. Sagittarius, November 21 to December 21, the topaz. Who first comes to this world below under Sagittarius should know that their true gem should ever show. A topaz. Capricorn, December 21 to January 21. The ruby. Those who live in Capricorn no trouble shall their brows adorn if they this glowing gem have worn. The ruby. An old Spanish list of the gems of the zodiacal signs differs from those given above and probably represents Arab tradition. Aries, crystal, Taurus, ruby and diamond, Gemini, sapphire, Cancer, agate and beryl, Leo, topaz, Virgo, magnet, Libra, jasper, Scorpio, garnet, Sagittarius, emerald, Capricorn, chalcedony, Aquarius, amethyst, Pisces, left blank. Of planetary stones, there is assigned to the sun the jacinth and the chrysolite, when this latter name was applied to the yellow Brazilian chrysoberyl, while the moon controls the beryl, the rock crystal, and also the pearl. To the share of Venus fall the sapphire and carbuncle, as well as coral and pearl. Usually the emerald is the stone of Venus. Mars lays claim to the diamond, jacinth and ruby, the last named stone according with the ruddy hue of our neighbor planet. Under the control of Jupiter are placed the emerald, sapphire, 
amethyst, and turquoise, so that this planet has the richest assortment of gems. It will be remarked that the celestial sapphire unites the influence of Venus and Jupiter, the two especially propitious planets. Lastly, faraway Saturn must be content with all dark, black, and brittle stones. There was, indeed, little inducement to wear a Saturnian stone, for the influence of this cold and distant planet was always regarded as baleful. The planetary controls of precious stones, as given in the Lapidario of Alfonso X, according to Chaldaic tradition, show that the same stone was influenced in many or most cases by more than one of the seven planets, including the sun and the moon. Thus the diamond, belonging to the first degree of the sign Taurus, was dominated by both Saturn and the sun. The emerald was controlled by Jupiter, and also by Mercury and by Venus. The red jargoon was influenced by Mars, the yellow variety by Jupiter, and the white jargoon by Venus. The carnelian received virtue from the sun and from Venus. The ruby, although more especially a sunstone, came as well under the influence of the planet of love. Coral belonged both to Venus and to the moon, while Lapis Lazuli and the Chalcedony only owed allegiance to Venus. This planet also lent virtue to the beryl. End of chapter 10, part 1. Recording by Richard Garifo.